When you hear the word give, maybe it makes you want to turn the radio dial. But you know, there's an incredible story at the end of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and it's about the widow, the poor widow. Jesus watched how she gave and what she gave. And she gave all that she had, and Jesus said she outgave everybody. Wouldn't you love the Lord to say something like that about you? Well, that's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Father God, we have come here to hear from you, and we pray that all distractions would be set aside right now as we get into the Word of God and we get the Word of God deep into us. Thank you that your Word is alive And thank you that it changes our hearts. From one degree of glory to another, you're changing us by the word, by the spirit. And we're just grateful to be your people. We're grateful to be a people of your own possession. We're grateful for what we have now and what we will have in the future. Because what we have ahead of us, Lord, is way beyond what we could even compare it to. The the temporary things that challenge us are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is coming. So may that hearten us. I know some folks that are here are dealing with some losses and some difficulties that they've been going through and I just pray that you'd lighten their hearts, encourage them with songs of thanksgiving, with um, a new work of grace in their hearts, Lord. That's my prayer, that you do a new work of grace in all of our hearts, that these holidays would be very special to us, times of true thanksgiving, times of true reflection on Christ, uh, the Savior, God in human flesh coming into the world to save us, to save me. I wanna lay this time at your feet, Lord, and pray that you would speak. Your servants are listening, so give us ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Now last time we were together, uh, Jesus was hit with three, I'm getting buffeted by a fly up here, messenger of Satan come to buffet me. Anyway. Uh, we, we saw Jesus was confronted with three questions from different groups. The first question came from a group of Pharisees with the Herodians, and they asked Jesus the question about taxes. Should we pay the poll tax or not? And Jesus said, show me the money, show me the coin. And the coin had an image of Caesar on it, and Jesus in that classic response said, then render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. And what belongs to God is everything. You have been imprinted with what's called the Imago Dei in Latin, the image of God. And since you bear his image, everything belongs to him. And the music plays. It's beautiful. Anyway. (laughs) And so everything belongs to God, and that's you and me. He wants all of us. He wants all of our heart. The next group came up, they were the Sadducees, and they thought they had the question of the day, and they told this story about this guy, and he married a lady, and he died before there could be offspring. So the law of the land was the Leveret law, and seven brothers married the same woman. They all died before there was offspring. And if you were uh, brother number three, you'd be definitely checking your oatmeal. We talked about that last time. See, uh, what does she put in stuff that everybody's dying all around her? And they said, in the resurrection, whose wife is she? 
And we kind of gave the funny illustration that if I saw her in the resurrection, I'd be running away from her, not to her. But anyway, Jesus said, you don't understand the scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels, not angels, but like them in that we will uh, see God face to face, we will commune with him, we will carry out his will, and he corrected them, and off they went with the tail, their tail between their legs. And then a lawyer came, that is an expert in the law, and he said, Lord, what is the foremost commandment of the law? And Jesus went back and he reached back into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall worship the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the second is like it. After he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, he quotes Leviticus 19, 18, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when we concluded last Sunday's message, we talked about the fact that what Jesus was actually saying there is that we are to hold nothing back We are not to hold back our hearts from God, from loving him with everything that we are, and we are not to hold back from loving our neighbor as ourself, but so many of us hold back love. Why do we do that? Some of us have been hurt. Some of us just distrust. Some of us are just embarrassed to express love. Some of us, you know, you you may not even have, have had a hug for a while, Maybe, you know, it's just hard for you to deal with something. Some of you have challenges in your past where it makes it hard for you to open your heart. And I think God would ask you to open your heart again if that's you. And Jesus gave this tremendous answer and the the lawyer, the, the expert in the law was pleased and he said, it's true, the Lord is one Lord and to worship him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is it. And Jesus said to that man, you are not far from the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever heard the old statement, so close but yet so far? I don't know really what that means. I don't know if that means that the guy was on the cusp of believing. I don't know, you know what the full implications of that are, but there are people who are not far, but they haven't come in. What I wanna talk to you about this morning is really a work of the heart that God wants to do in your life. God wants to work in your heart. Now, there are a couple of words I wanna throw out at the beginning, and this, is, this message is called the heart of Christ. And there's a Greek and a Hebrew word I'm gonna give you for the word heart. The word heart in Greek is cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A. You've all heard that before in English. We talk about cardiac Arrest. Hopefully, I, I said that at first service, and someone had recently gone through that, and he was like, "Man, what, right? Once you opened that message, I knew you were talking to me, Pastor Michael." Anyway, hopefully that doesn't apply to you. But um, we talk about that whole study of cardiology. But the Hebrew word for heart is an interesting word. It's called leb or lab, and it's spelled in English L-E-V, like lev, or L-E-B, leb. It's actually pronounced lab. So if you want the phonetic pronunciation, you would spell it L-A-B-E, lab. In the Hebrew language, the word heart is just two simple letters. It's a lamed, and in the ancient picture language, it looks like a shepherd's staff. And if you look at the idea of a shepherd's staff, it speaks of control, lamed. And the second letter, going from right to left, is a bait, and it's found in the ancient language, it looks like a house. 
And here's the word, very simply, this is kind of how the Hebrew language works, a staff, speaking of control, and a house, and your heart is what controls the house or what controls you. The, in Hebrew and Greek thought, the heart is the center of you. It's the center of your mind, your intellect, your will, your emotions. It is what you are about. It is you, truly you is your heart. It is what controls everything. That's the word for heart in Hebrew. What controls the house? And here's my question for you at the beginning of this message is, who or what controls your heart? I'm not talking about your pumping organ in the middle of your chest, as glorious as a creation as that is. I'm talking about the spiritual you now. I'm talking about your soul. I'm talking about what really makes up you. In the scriptures, there's at least three times in the New Testament where the inner man is brought up. In Romans 7, Paul says, in the inner man, I rejoice in the law. I love it. But I find another law in the members of my flesh or my body. There's a war going on. I delight in the law of the Lord in my heart, but I find another principle going on, right? The flesh warring against the spirit. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, my outer man is decaying, but my inner man is being renewed. How often? Day by day. You can have a day by day renewal. And in Ephesians 3.16, we're told that everything is about our heart. We're to give God everything from our heart. God wants to do a work in your heart today. Will you let him? That's the question. It is in your heart that God wants to do a work, a work of grace, a work of renewal, a work of freedom, a work of strength. Don't hold back. Now you might say, well, in the Bible, was there anybody who really loved God with all their heart? If that's what God requires, did anybody really do it? And we're gonna see at the end of this message a woman that I think did do it, but I think what we, what we find in life is that we don't do it consistently enough, amen? We tend to close off our heart to God. We don't often say, Lord, search my heart. Uh, do you ever, I have times like this all the time. I, I sometimes say, Lord, would you change my heart? Sometimes I look inside and I don't like what I see. You know, sometimes my heart is not celebratory as, as it should be or thankful as it should be or open as it should be and we all deal with this. But in the Old Testament, God said he had found a man after his own heart. That man was David. That, he was a man after God's own heart, so it tells me that it's possible to have a heart after God, but it seems to be rather rare. And of course, David is compared with Saul, who wouldn't do it God's way. In Titus 1.7, it says, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. He's not to be self-willed, that is, he is to be God-willed. You can write down Titus 1.7. And there are many places in the Bible that talk about the heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts or heart is completely his. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will do what? He will direct your paths. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues or the springs of life. Ephesians 5.19 says, we are to make melody with our hearts to the Lord. 
Ephesians 6, 6 says we are to do the will of God from the heart. Jesus said your heart is the most important thing. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. And we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633. And in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects. But God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. Jesus said your heart is the most important thing. He said you should store up treasures in heaven because uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And he says out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile a person or defile the man. This is how God wants us to love him. He doesn't want to show. He doesn't want religious, uh, you know, you show up at the right place, you don't do this, you do that. He doesn't want just things to be done for appearance sake. He wants you to love him from his heart or from your heart. Now let's pick up the account. This is the heart of Christ, Mark 12. We'll look at verses 35 through 44. Mark 12, 35. And Jesus answering began to say, now he had been hit with these questions and he now had a question of his own. It was really an answer, but he's, he's saying, in essence, if you want a debate, here you go. As he taught in the temple, he said this, these words. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now this is what the scribes taught. They taught that the Christ or the Messiah, the coming uh, savior or conqueror would be from the lineage of David. Now how long before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem did David live? About a thousand years before. And Jesus was being lauded as the son of David. Or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were, they were calling him the son of David. And the religious leaders didn't like the implication of what was being said. And Jesus said, well, this is what you teach. You say that the Christ is the son of David. Look, up, look at the follow-up to this because it brings clarity. Jesus says, David himself said in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is about to quote Psalm 110. I want you to notice, students of the Bible, that Jesus said David wrote Psalm 110 by the Holy Spirit. This is an example of what's called uh, inspiration of the Bible. The Bible came through human authors, but it was the product of the Holy Spirit. This is what 2 Peter 1, verses 19 through 21 tell us. No prophecy of Scripture ever came as an act of human will, 
but men of God were moved along by the Holy Spirit. This is the process of what's called Bible inspiration. People say, well, the Bible's a human book. It was written by human authors. We're reading a book called Mark. Doesn't that mean Mark wrote the book? Yeah, Mark was the instrument, if you will, but the ultimate scripture was breathed out by God. In fact, it was a product of the Holy Spirit, and David himself, verse 36, spoke uh, in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit, and those are the words of Jesus, by the way. Jesus believes that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and here's what David wrote. He said, the Lord, David writing Psalm 110 is the the reference, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. Now David's writing a psalm 1,000 years before Jesus is born and he's almost like, it's almost like he's uh, a witness to a conversation between two persons. Notice the Lord, the first Lord there in Hebrew is Yahweh, if you're interested. You spell it uh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. And the second reference there to Lord is Adonai. So you have the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand. Now there's a conversation going on a thousand years before Jesus is ever born in Bethlehem between two persons or personalities that are called Lord. And you you think, well, does the Bible teach that God is triune? Here's an example in the Old Testament where where it does. Just earlier, we heard Jesus quote the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet you have a conversation between two personalities or call them centers of consciousness that are having a conversation and they're not the same, but they're both called Lord. Yahweh is the name of God. Adonai is a way to say the first judge. When you call Jesus your Lord, It literally means the first judge, Adonai. And here's what it means. It means everything in my life, I will run by him first to make the judgment. When you call him Lord, that's what you're saying. Lord, do you want me to do this? Lord, do you want me to do that? You lay your life before him as the first judge. That's Adonai. And so David is experiencing this conversation. And David, inspired by the Spirit, says the Lord, Yahweh, or if you want the Father, said something to Adonai. And he said, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. What's ironic is that the very religious leadership had become Jesus' enemies. Jesus reaches back to the Old Testament and now he's got his own question and this is at least the second stumper that he's brought to them. Remember earlier he had asked them if John the Baptist's baptism was from heaven or man and they huddled up. Hold on a second, we need a sidebar. Oh, if we say this, if we say that, right? They come out of the huddle, ready, break, we don't know. And Jesus said, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And here's his second stumper. He reaches back to the Old Testament and he says, uh, well then, how is it that David calls this one Lord? Now stick with me, you're gonna need your thinking cap for a second, but here's how it works. They all said that the Messiah would be the human descendant of David. Think, think of a descendant, if the world goes on for another thousand years, think of a descendant from your family that would be born a thousand years from today. That would be a great, 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 great grandson of yours, right? Couldn't do enough greats in there. They would be your lineage. 
But David called this future grandson way off in the distance from David's time, he called him Lord. Why would David do that? David was the great king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, ruled the nation well. He had his blunder, but he ruled the nation very well. Why would David call a future grandson his Lord? And that's the question that he puts to the religious leader, leaders. And by the way, there's no record that they ever answer the question. I think they just went, ah, 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 ah. And, and here's another thing to take note of. Jesus has just told a parable of the vine growers and he said that when the vine growers saw the son come, they said, this is the heir, come let us kill him. And by that story, he was making it clear that they know who he is. They know he's the Christ. And now he's thrown it back at them and said, look, if you know who I am, how is it that you are plotting in your heart you're about to kill God in human flesh? Now, you can't kill God in his very essence, but Jesus was going to die as the descendant of David, and they were plotting his death at the same time they knew who he was. David himself calls him Lord. Look at verse 37. So in what sense is he his son? And the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. I think this is kind of like they watched the religious leaders squirm a little bit and they were like, he got him again. I, I thought I was just gonna come to the temple and make an offering and give a little bit of money. And man, you, oh, what Jesus does to these religious leaders is awesome. He threw this out again and they're, I don't know. See, what this is teaching is that Jesus is both human and divine. This is what's called the dual nature of the Son. Jesus has always been God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1 goes into saying, all things were made through him and by him. Here's a way you could put it. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was there before the beginning began because then the rest of the verses go on to call him the creator. If you're there before the beginning began, then you must be the beginner. Amen? I know. It's a little heavy. Did you have your donut? You, everybody okay? <laughs> See, this is talking about the eternality of Christ. Christ is both human and divine. And when he became that baby in Bethlehem, he did not stop being God. God can't stop being God. God doesn't go on a vacation. I don't want to be God for a while. It doesn't work that way. God is always God, but he took on the additional nature of humanity. And here's what Jesus is appealing to. He's saying, look, you guys say Psalm 110 is a Psalm of David. You watch David call the Messiah Lord. You watch a distinction between one who's called Yahweh and Lord, and yet, here I am. What do you say about that? What's your answer? And of course, the one who's asking them is the one who is the very Christ, and many times in his earthly ministry, people were saying, could this be the Christ? And the woman at the well said, when, when the Messiah comes, he, he will, he'll point out all these things to us, paraphrase, and Jesus said, I who stand before you, am he. Jesus Christ is Messiah, God in human flesh. 
And in the last week of his earthly life, he was showing those who were his enemies and decided to be his enemies who he truly was. Now, if you go to the, go to the actual psalm, go to Psalm 110 for a second. Let me just show it to you. It's only seven verses. It's the most quoted psalm in the uh, New Testament. It may be even the most quoted scripture that's uh, quoted in the New Testament. It's a psalm of David. Look at Psalm 110. The psalms are a great place to be as you do your devotional life. And here's what it says. Written 1,000 years before Jesus was born, about 1,000 BC, the Lord, Psalm 110 verse one says, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying rule in the midst of thine enemies, Psalm 110 verse three. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. That could speak of the church or the saints. In holy array from the womb of the dawn. Thy youth are to thee as the dew. It could speak of offspring there. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Speaking of this one who is called Lord. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now I brought up Melchizedek in first service and some people say Melchizedek who? But Melchizedek is brought up a few times in scripture, namely, I think three times he comes up. He's there in Genesis 14. He's there in the book of Hebrews, chapters five, six, and seven, and he's mentioned in Psalm 110. Who is this mysterious Melchizedek? Well, here's what we know from Genesis 14. Abram fought a battle with some kings and Lot was taken as a prisoner of war. And he wanted to go rescue his nephew, so Abraham got an army together and he was victorious over these kings. And when he was on his way back, the king of Sodom met him. Met him. The king of Sodom is almost like a, a type of Satan in the Old Testament. And he came up and he was kind of negotiating with Abram. And in the midst of that negotiation, another one came up and his name was Melchizedek and he's identified as the king of Salem or the king of peace. And he came up and offered a couple things to Abram. He offered him bread and wine, interestingly enough. And there was an interchange between the, this Melchizedek, this king of Salem, and Abram gave him a tenth of the spoils. This, this particular character is picked up in Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. Some people believe he's a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Some people think that he's a type, like a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. There's, there's good scholars on both sides. But here's, here's what it's bringing up. It's saying that Jesus is this one at the right hand of the Father, if you will, and he's got a priesthood and its priesthood is according to the order of Melchizedek. Just to make it simple, it's not a, a Levitical order. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. What tribe was he from? Judah. And Judah was not to have the priesthood. But Jesus had a, has a unique priesthood. It's a forever priesthood. In fact, right now, brothers and sisters, he's at the right hand of the Father. In the book of Hebrews, as it lays out his high priestly ministry says, he ever lives to intercede, guess for who? For you. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I wanna tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up it's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know 
what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.